Dr. King, I want to thank you very deeply for taking time out from an arduous schedule to come to New York and do this program with me tonight. Thank you. I'd like to begin by asking you what significance does the Birmingham story, the Birmingham struggle that has just been concluded have, in your view, on the overall Negro-white struggle in the United States? Well, I think it has a great significance in that Birmingham has been, for many years, the symbol of hardcore resistance to desegregation. And I would say it has been the toughest city in the country in race relations. It's been the most thoroughly segregated city in, in America. It has had uh, a terrible record of police brutality, and there have been more unsolved bombings of Negro homes and churches in Birmingham than any other city. Now, in the movement, in the particular movement that took place, I think we were able to dramatize the indignities and the injustices which Negroes confront in Birmingham and other places in the hardcore South. And by doing this, I think we were able to bring the issue so much to the surface that everybody could see it. And after we reached the point of getting basic agreements from the economic power structure, uh, I think it said to people all over, that the barriers or the walls of segregation are crumbling in Birmingham and they can crumble anywhere. By tackling the most difficult city, it seems to me that we were able to give impetus to other movements and say to people everywhere that it's just a matter of time now. I wonder if you believe, Dr. King, that the Birmingham issue, the Birmingham violence, was the specific trigger which has uh, set off the explosions around the country, north and south. Uh, was, it, was its violence, uh, the attack on children, the use of police dogs and police truncheons, uh, were those the triggers that have ignited Englewood, New Jersey, and other southern communities and other northern communities, more than any other incident yeah. to date? Well, I, I think it's a combination of two things. Uh, I think on the one hand, the large number of people who engaged in the demonstrations had something to do with it. In fact, more people were arrested for standing up for civil rights in Birmingham than any other city in the country. Uh, some 3,200 were arrested. So I think the mass quality of the movement had its arousing effects and uh, its repercussions in other communities, along with the indignities or the brutality and the violence perpetrated against Negroes. I think these two things uh, arouse Negroes all over the country and all people of goodwill for that matter. And uh, I'm sure that things that are happening in other communities, North and South, uh, at this very time, uh, to a large extent came into being as a result of the mass quality of the movement in Birmingham and the violence perpetrated against Negroes. Dr. King, subsequent to the uh, Birmingham situation, we have read a lot about the behind-the-scene maneuvering of uh, the Attorney General Robert Kennedy and Mr. Burke Marshall. How effective was our Justice Department, and specifically Mr. Kennedy and Mr. Marshall, in effecting a final resolution in Birmingham? You were on the scene. You were the pivot of the action. How effective were they 
Well, I would say that uh, they, they were quite effective in at least making it possible for us to have open channels of communication. Uh, we had not had any real dialogue prior to the coming of, of uh, Mr. Mark Burke Marshall. We had made some approaches and some attempts had been made to open negotiations, but it never got off the ground. And I do think that uh, with uh, the coming of the Justice Department and Mr. Marshall in the picture, uh, some channels of communication open that wouldn't have opened as soon. Now, I'm sure they would have eventually opened because of the persistent uh, power of those engaged in the movement, but uh, I think it helped to bring it about earlier. Were they, in your view, Dr. King, late in anticipating the extent of the violence? Were they, uh, were they delinquent in getting there soon enough? Well, I think they could have gotten there sooner. All along, we had uh, called the Justice Department, uh, I mean, called to the attention of the Justice Department many of the things that were taking place that were uh, symptoms of grave uh, injustices. And uh, we had many things happening. And in fact, the whole process, we felt, was uh, a tragic deprivation of basic constitutional rights. And we constantly call these to the attention of the Justice Department. And, How did they uh, respond? They did, at first, uh, they said that there was nothing that they could do because uh, constitutional questions were not involved, or at least uh, the Attorney General did not have uh, the power, the legislative power, the power backed up by the legislative branch of government to move in. Uh, the Attorney General has the power to move in and initiate suits in the area of uh, voting rights uh, when denials are made in that area, but uh, they contended that they had no power in the other areas. And uh, it went on like this until uh, things uh, started getting out of hand in terms of the violence on the part of the police force. And this is when they came in the situation. I wanted to ask you, in your view, is the Negro community of the United States aflame as never before? And is the uh, suspicion or the fear of some that we are on a collision course between the impatience of the Negro and the uh, procrastination of the white community. Is that fear well-grounded? Well, I think there is uh, no doubt about the fact that uh, the Negro is more determined now than ever before to be free. I think that that is a discontent in the Negro community, a frustration and an impatience, if we can use that word, uh, that we haven't seen before. I've been around the country for the last few days uh, speaking for freedom rallies, and I don't think I've ever seen uh, the Negro population of our nation more aroused and more determined as I've seen on these particular trips. And uh, I think it has reached the point now that there will be no stopping point short of justice and freedom. And I think the, the great challenge ahead is to, for the people of goodwill to see that the Negro is through with tokenism, through with gradualism, and through with uh, see how far you've come-ism. 
and uh, he's determined now to gain these basic rights which have been guaranteed by the Constitution and God-given rights, and yet they've not been carried out. It's, it really grows out of uh, blasted hopes because we all uh, responded to the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 with, uh, with a great sense of hope. This came to us as a great beacon light of hope. And uh, yet after eight years or more, we've come to see that integration has moved about 1% a year of students a year. And moving at this pace, it will take 92 more years to integrate the schools, the public schools of the South. And then outside of the South, we see de facto segregation growing every day. The ghetto continues to exist. And the endless frustrations uh, that develop as a result of economic deprivation and, and social isolation uh, will naturally cause uh, the kind of discontent that we now have in the Negro community. And I think it is colliding uh, with another force that must ultimately give and recognize the urgency of the moment. Do you fear that if the pace of desegregation and integration is not sufficiently swift, that violence is inevitable and that your own nonviolent movement may be overridden by the militancy of the Negro community? Well, realism impels me to admit that uh, if we cannot speed up the process, so to speak, if we can't move on and break down these barriers of segregation and discrimination uh, out of frustration and despair, uh, many Negroes may turn to, to violence and, and other courses of action that they wouldn't uh, ordinarily uh, respond to, that they wouldn't ordinarily uh, use as a technique. And uh, I think there is an urgency about the situation, uh, and I think if the nonviolent movement uh, is not supported, uh, and if there are not attempts made at every hand to give support to those who are trying to work out something through the creative channel of nonviolence, then it may open the door for the more extremist groups to come in and uh, really take over to the point that they will serve as the outlet for many Negroes who become desperately impatient. Dr. King, we've been led to believe the president is preparing a civil rights message, proposing new legislation. If this legislation is watered down or insufficient for the Negro purposes, or it is killed in filibuster in the Senate. What would be the aftermath, in your opinion, among the Negro people in this country? I think the aftermath would be a deeper frustration, uh, a deeper discontent, which would inevitably lead to deeper bitterness on the part of many Negroes. And uh, with this kind of bitterness emerging, uh, it can develop into a very explosive situation. I mean explosive in terms of violence, and uh, I must make it clear that I'm not advocating this and I'm not predicting this, but I'm trying to uh, analyze the problem realistically and honestly. I think if, uh, 
we don't get a strong civil rights uh, message and proposal from the president, and if we don't get an actual implementation of it on the part of Congress, uh, we will see ourselves in, in a deeper situation of chaos. And uh, I think that this, is, uh, this makes it even more urgent for the forces of goodwill to really work hard to, to get it through. Uh, this is why I've said in recent days that uh, uh, it's unfortunate that the president may be out of the country during the period when so many forces need to be mobilized and when the tremendous weight and prestige of the president will be needed to mobilize these forces because I'm sure the South is thinking now in terms of talking the bill away, filibustering, and this will be tragic, it will be unfortunate, and uh, I think it can lead to a darker night of terror. Dr.